You're listening to Integrating Sacred Wisdom Podcast. I call on the guardian of the East, Raphael, element of air, come and be welcomed. Call upon the guardian of the South, Michael, element of fire, come and be welcomed. I call on the guardian of the West, Gabriel, element of water, come and be welcomed. I call on the guardian of the North, Uriel, element of earth, come and be welcome. And we are your hosts. I'm Kelly Hauk, founder of Sacred Arts Sanctuary in West Sedona and also Heart Space Retreats. And I am Priscilla Hadway, founder of Sacred Remembering Sound Healing in Sedona, Arizona and ascensionprovisions.com. I'm Matthew David Cummings with Above So Curio and Purify by Fire. And I'm Anna Marstanovich with Heart Space Retreats in Sedona and also High Desert Healing, Massage and Bodywork. Hello everyone and welcome back to this week's episode on inner child healing, how to navigate it and what is inner child healing. The psychologist Carl Jung is most commonly considered the first to have coined the term inner child. The divine child archetype is one among many defined by Jung. In popular psychology, the inner child archetype is akin to an unconscious subpersonality that consists of what a person learned and experienced in the earliest years of their life. This inner child personality is subordinate to the conscious mind, yet influences this mind. The influence manifests negatively if the inner child is traumatized, wounded, or anxious. The role of Jungian psychotherapy is to heal this inner child. Through a process of conscious reparenting, psychotherapists assist their patients in recognizing their inner child trauma and pain. By compassionately working with this inner child to teach them new patterns of behavior, the adult becomes free from the compulsion to act upon the whims of the unruly subconscious child. So a lot of people um, tend to wonder, okay, well, why do I need to focus on an inner child? Um, I didn't really have a very traumatic childhood, or I don't feel like there's a whole lot of things um, that had happened in my childhood that would make me feel like I need to do any type of inner child healing. Now what I explain to people is that inner child healing doesn't have to necessarily be something that was like a major event in your life that could be overwhelmingly traumatic or anything like that. Even though commonly it is, it doesn't necessarily have to be. I've had clients before, like particularly one client who um, there was something subconscious with them that they couldn't understand why they couldn't leave their current job and they struggled with making the decision of working for themselves and so they wanted to do some hypnosis, some inner child work to potentially get to the root of that issue to understand why. And the story that came up with it was just something that had happened when that person was really young where they were outside playing and their parent had told them like, don't play near the car, you're gonna ding the car, don't play near the car, you're gonna ding the car. And they were like, yeah, I'll be fine, I'm not gonna do that. And then sure enough they were playing near the car and they accidentally broke the window and the level of devastation that they had in that moment carried on with them and for that person 
it was the letting down their parents that caused a lifelong imbalance for them to not want to let down other people. And even though his father was okay with it and his mother was okay with what had happened, he still internalized a lot of that shame and that like feeling of dread that they had disappointed their parents. And now as an adult, subconsciously, they're afraid to lose, like leave their job in order to go into a business for themselves because they're afraid of disappointing their family. And so sometimes it could be just a little thing like that, like maybe even your parent at that time didn't even remember that moment or wasn't really that big of a deal. They kind of expected something to happen in that moment and they should have just told you to go in the backyard instead. But for that child, it was something big. And even if that person didn't actively remember that memory for a long time, and it was like, oh yeah, I remember that happening. It still can store in your subconscious mind and potentially cause imbalances later in life. So it doesn't necessarily mean that when you're going through inner child healing, it has to be something very big, very traumatic or anything like that. It could be something small. And for some children, you know, breaking a window of a car could be huge because of the fact that maybe how the parents responded. In this situation, the parents were okay. And so you always just want to go back and look and see, okay, well, whatever's coming up with me subconsciously that I'm having a hard time working through, where is this stemming from? What am I afraid of? And tracing those memories back. So when I first started my inner child healing, a lot of what I would do is I would have emotions come up and I would sit with that emotion and be like, why do I feel this way? What is it about this emotion that makes me think about this certain situation that will make me feel like this? And then I would be like, when was the first time I ever experienced this emotion and why? And usually in meditation, I would be brought back to these memories like, oh, interesting. So the first time I experienced this, this is what happened. And what did I tell myself during that time? What was ultimately the story that I had told myself? And so when you start finding like what that internal dialogue was for yourself during those moments of, oh, I broke that window. I'm such a disappointment. And they told me not to, and I let them down and I'm a failure and all these things. What did you tell yourself in that moment? Or if you were too young, even at that point where you couldn't tell yourself, what was exactly that emotion behind that? And later on, when that emotion repeated in other situations, what was the common story then that you were telling yourself? And processing that energy and processing that mindset and then going through it with logic and reasoning. Was I a failure? Probably not. If say you did something that was severely terrible? Did you do it out of lack of understanding? Did you do it because you were being inconsiderate? What was it about that that was so bad? And then analyze it, sit with it, look at it at different perspectives. Okay, so I'm gonna look at it now from my parents' perspective. So for that person, looking at it at how their parents ex you know, experienced that emotion as well, they didn't find it a big deal. They understood and they knew. They were disappointed in the fact that they had to replace the window, but it was more 
perceived as they were disappointed in themselves that they didn't just tell him to go into the backyard and play. And so you have to really look at them from all angles to understand the entire situation and then start working on either forgiving yourself for what you have done or work on forgiving others for what they have done. And that doesn't necessarily mean that some people deserve forgiveness, but it's more so for you to be able to move forward. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you can, you know, you would need to go and call an abuser and be like, oh, I forgive you or anything like that. Absolutely not. If you don't feel like that person needs forgiveness, they don't need it. But for you to have peace, you need to have a certain level of understanding and forgiveness within yourself. Because otherwise you're just holding on to it. And um, there was someone that told me once that holding on to anger is like holding on to a stone and just carrying it around all day, every day. But it's not affecting anyone else but you because you're holding on to it. And so it's important to get to these places where you can move forward without something holding you back. And so it's ultimately allowing you to understand and allowing you to process and then forgiving yourself or others for whatever it is that happened. Yeah, and sometimes I find for people like the word forgiveness has a certain like trigger to it, you know? And so if that is something that feels too intense for you, the idea of like forgiving yourself or forgiving someone else, it, sometimes starting with the idea of releasing it, right? So I'll work with people and say, okay, if you're not ready to just completely release this outside of your experience and let it go back to its own time and place, try letting it sit outside of your body or move it to another part of your body so that the energy of it starts to shift. And as you get more comfortable with moving that energy to less intense places, as you notice the intensity of that experience feeling less and less when you revisit it, you know, that you can just keep kind of moving it further and further out of your body until you're ready to let go. Like it doesn't, it is a process of, like Kelly kept saying, letting it go. Forgiveness is just one of the words that we use to say the same thing as letting it go. But I think religion and a lot of different things have attached a lot of baggage to that word. So sometimes it can be you know, just that gift that you give yourself of lightening your being, letting yourself feel lighter, less heavy. Because like you said, it's like carrying around a stone. Yeah. And I like how you put that because, you know, forgiveness tends to be um, a little bit of a issue, especially when you've been through a lot of trauma. I think if you told like pre-inner child healing version of me, I would have been like, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> like, I am not forgiving anyone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, because, yeah, we kind of have built it up to, to almost t- meaning, Allowing. yeah, that we're enabling that beha- the behavior that, that made us feel that certain way. And I don't think that's what forgiveness forgiveness is about. Um, I think we, we attach it to that uh, too easily. Uh, I think more so forgiveness is about uh, releasing that energetic cycle within yourself and, um, you know, forgiving maybe not so much the person, but yourself for, um, you know, uh, dealing with the situation with the only information that you had at the time. 
Uh, and so now you're able to see it from a greater perspective or a new perspective. And um, so you're, you're forgiving that, that part of you that is, is no longer you, uh, so you don't have to carry it around anymore. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up forgiving yourself because self-compassion is a really important part of this work, you know, especially when we're talking about early childhood experiences where our perception of an event that happened to us is is just limited to our experience, our limited experience as a child. So we may perceive something as more important or bigger or, you know, more traumatic than it actually is, like Kelly said in her example in the beginning um that kid's parents you know they didn't think it was a big deal but to him it was everything he was carrying it around into his adulthood and it was affecting his relationships and his life and his career because little him assigned so much meaning to it and so yeah the forgiving yourself for um being so hard on yourself for carrying this around i think is really important yeah, my mom, what's coming to mind is like my mom would tell me that how hard I was on myself all the time. She said even as like a two-year-old, I would like toddle out, you know, into the street and she would tell me, you know, come back, come back. And and I would come back and then I'd play and then I'd start toddling back out. And she said the second time when she had to remind me to come back that I would just like melted down and like, she's like, it wasn't like you were angry. It wasn't a tantrum. Like you were just so disappointed in yourself that you couldn't. And she's like, we had to be really careful disciplining you as a kid because you took it so intensely on yourself. You didn't feel like we were being too hard on you. Like you were so hard on yourself that we didn't really have to do a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And so that shows too that some of this stuff from, you know, I didn't have harsh parents. I had very loving parents, you know, but um, some of it can even come in probably, you know, past life stuff or just the way we're wired, you know, coming into this life for whatever lessons we're meant to learn. And so when you're going back to, I was listening to someone that uh, whose teachings I I love to follow her name is blue blu and she was saying like that's what she had a friend who was diagnosed with cancer and and she said you know the way I work with people with my friends like immediately when they called me and I just I flew to you know the other country where they were and we started going to find that origin of that emotion that she was feeling from that diagnosis because in the moment that's what was reeling right so first we go and find the origin of that feeling it wasn't what she's feeling wasn't just because of the diagnosis like it has further roots back even seven generations back some of this stuff can come from right and um so once you heal the emotional body then you can start working on pulling out and we do that with energy work we heal the Mm. emotional patterns right and then we go into the physical body i go into the mind and pull the memory right we go into the heart and pull any anything that's hanging out in there from it and anywhere on your body where you've been having physical manifestations of that energy from being around so long you know it's important we have so many different places of memory our gut our heart our our muscles have memory our brain you know we got to pull that energy from all those places to really make that shift make room for a true shift i think you know the 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 nature versus nurture kind of enters into that uh with uh, inner child work because uh we're we're both culminations of uh or uh, of both of those simultaneously 
Uh, so the the actions that we've perceived uh, as a child, uh, you know, interactions that we've had with others, uh, and, but with also um, just the way that our physiological um, responses are. Uh, you know, we're we're at a, a real kind of a raw time uh, in development uh, when things are happening very quickly, and oftentimes a lot of those emotional experiences uh, can become very permanent um, because uh, we're in this stage where you know we're we're trying to protect uh, the longevity of of our life. And so the lessons that we learn seem more profound, uh, and, and it's only exaggerated by our limited uh, experience and, and perspective. Uh, I, I think we can all, you know, think back of, of our of our parents, you know, uh, creating limitations for us, and um, and our re- rebellion to those limitations. Um, because we we lack the experience or the perspective to know that um, those limitations are actually for our own safety, uh, and it's not until we push those boundaries and and we you know realize that uh, those things are not safe. Um, all we have to go on is the the response uh, from our parents uh, for breaking one of those rules, you know, and so that becomes that. Um, that lesson instead of you actually, you know, uh, crossing the boundaries yourself and learning the hard lesson. So we take that internally almost as if we are learning the hard lesson and it's simply uh, an energetic exchange um, with our parents who, who have that experience. And, and um, without any reference um, to why we're, we're receiving that sort of reaction. Uh, it can seem huge, you know, life-changing, like earth-shattering uh, to a child. And um, a lot of those things t- stick with you for the rest of your life, and uh, they're designed to physiologically. And so it's, we have to go th- through there uh, and, and deprogram uh, to find a, a new perspective in order to integrate that more successfully. Um, I, I know there's a phenomenon where people hit, you know, like 40 years old, they start, um, their, their brain actually kind of unlocks that, those, um, those early memories. And we start remembering certain things that happened during childhood that maybe we weren't ready to process, um, earlier in life. And, uh, I think we, your, your body comes to a certain point where it can no longer, you know, contain those um, those heavy aspects, and so they kind of force you to go through it, whether you're ready for it or not. And and doing inner child work, you know, because of that, a lot of people seek it out. Um, but doing it preemptively uh, can be very helpful uh, later on in life. You know, in order to experience happiness and not have this uh, sudden surge of uncomfortability with with uh, things that you you know looking back on you had a good childhood and then all of a sudden all these things are coming up and you don't know why well now you know that's why 
Well, there's a quote that um, is interesting that always stuck with me um, that says that harsh criticism of children causes them to doubt themselves. They begin to doubt their lovability, their self-worth, and their personal value. As criticism mounts, they learn to turn off their feelings to survive and they stop loving themselves. And I always found that very interesting because if you really think about how fragile children's minds are, they don't have the same logic and reasoning as an adult. So a lot of times whenever they're experiencing something, they are internalizing it and they are reflecting that inwards. They don't think, oh, well, that person doesn't love me because they're an asshole. They don't love me because I'm not lovable. And that's usually how children perceive their world. And so if parents, you know, parented with that mindset, I think they would be a little bit more gentle with their children because they don't understand that the internal dialogue of a child is different than an adult, that they can't just read and be like, oh, well, mom's just having a bad day or dad's just having a bad day. It's there's something wrong with me because I am not being loved right now. So I have to... Um, either hide or whatever. They don't have the fix-it mindset yet, so it's more like I have to shut away that part of myself or I have to shame myself or whatever it may be because children don't have that same understanding. And I always found that very, very powerful. Yeah, there's... um Well, oh, well. So my mom would say to my daughter sometimes, she might not like me sharing this part, but it's not a criticism. It's just, so she would have this saying like, you know, your number one job is to keep mom happy, right? And I was like, oh, hi, like big red flags, right? Because... That's a there pretty was high expectation. Ooh, yeah. yeah, right? And I said, no. You're responsible for mom's happiness. <laughs> and then flash me back to, you know, certain parts of my childhood. And I was like, you know, I had to have, she means well by it. She's just trying to get compliance, you know, like joyful compliance, right? And and keeping in mind too, like my, both of my parents were midlife babies. So my grandparents were born in 1910, 1914, 1916, like those years, so my parents were raised by a very different set of norms, right? And then my parents had me in their mid-30s. So that's also, you know, they were born in the 50s. So then it's like, so generationally, there's still a lot of old ideas around that we've had to kind of break through, especially with how quickly parenting has changed in the last decade, right? So, you know, it was an innocent comment, but then all I could do is flash back to the times when, my parents were both going through severe depression, you know, severe depression. And as a 11 year old, you know, 10 year old, like I know what it's like to not be able to make mommy happy. I can't, you know, can't get her out of bed. We can't do like, just, I know that. And so that's where it sends me when she would say that. And finally I had to be like, do you remember this point in our lives? <laughs> and like, this is, and of course my mom's a very happy go lucky person, right? She's like, Oh, well, you know, that was like a weird time. whatever. And, um, and I know that was a hard time for her too. And so I didn't want to bring it up cause I didn't want her to feel bad. But I said, what if there's a time in our lives where she can't do that? I don't want her to feel that responsibility. And so I said, what we say is your number one responsibility is to do the right thing to do what you think is the right thing. And um, 
I had said something to my daughter this morning out of nowhere. We were driving her to, I was driving her to preschool and she likes to play around with this idea of fear. Like, oh, I'm going to be shy today, mom. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, Because <laughs> she is not a shy person by any, she's pretty gregarious actually. And then she likes to play, oh, but I'm scared of this. And oh, I'm scared of this. And she does it as a game. She even takes her little hands like little cat paws and puts them up to her face, you know, and shivers. <laughs> and like, she's just very like. Like an anime character. Yes, exactly <laughs> like that. Little sound effects. Yes, it's so cute. And I, and so so I told her today, I said, I'm going to tell you something that most grownups don't even know because I think you're really smart. And she goes, okay. And I said, you never have to be afraid because you will always make good choices. And she like kind of sat back and there's these moments where you can tell like something higher, you know, a higher type of function is kind of taking over. And then she goes, I'm a cat, you know, <laughs> goes right out of it. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if this is taken or not, but it, we'll say it again in the future. But I was like, okay, like, I don't know where that came from, but I'm just going to keep reinforcing that to her. Like, you never have to be afraid because you are going to make good choices for yourself. And so you're always safe. You're yeah. all, and that's what I said. You're always the safe. the right choice yeah. for her that yes. day. Yes, it's always well, the right choice to, for I her, mean, to be honest. If you ask a cat, if he made the he or she made the right choice, oh, they're always, always going to say yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. No matter what it was. Yes. For sure. Absolutely. She is very much cat energy. So, so yeah, I said your body's always going to be safe. Your who you are is always going to be safe. Like your identity, everything's always going to be safe because you're always going to make the right choices because you are smart and you're capable and and stuff. So then she was very concerned that Lizzo, that no one loves her anymore and now, but she still throws her hair back and <laughs> she was like, but no one loves her mom. I'm like, they do. It's fine. It's just, <laughs> and then we had to get a whole deeper conversation about that, but it's, what you know, that song, like throw your hair back, something, check my nails, baby, how you doing? It's good as hell is the name of the song. And uh, so, but she says he doesn't love you anymore. And it's kind of like, who cares? I'm going to get my hair done. I'm going to check my nails or whatever. And she's like, why doesn't anyone love her? And I was like, okay, I can't. <laughs> I can't. Pro- I said, everyone loves her. We love her. She's fine. She's saying it doesn't matter. And so I was like, well, sometimes if people are mean to you, you can still be okay. You can still feel safe. She's saying that she feels safe no matter what. I just brought her right back around because she makes good choices. So she's <laughs> like, okay, I don't know. We'll see how this lands. Um, but she's th- already ahead of me. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of times when clients come in and, and things come up for them, around inner child healing too I always reinforce to them is like you know imagining themselves as their grown-up self with that child version of themselves is is kind of where we end up going because no one will ever know what that child felt more than the adult version of them right they can mm. witness it and be there for it and so usually you know we ask like what does this part of you need what does your inner child need do they need to be seen do they need to be held do they need to be told something like you you're okay I understand you you know because a lot of times to adults as we're going through you know lives and I definitely felt like with my parents a lot of times like 
once I hit 25, I had this appreciation that, wow, my parents, like in this really intense time of my childhood, that they were only like 40. They're like my age now. And um, they were just people trying to figure it out, just like I am as an adult, you know, just trying to figure out life. And at 25, I finally had like that real definitive understanding and compassion for them of like, oh, wow, like you just think adults are supposed to have it all together and know everything and be, we expect as children, our parents to be very perfect in a lot of ways, particularly as teenagers. Oh my gosh. You know, that's why we criticize them so much when we're teenagers. And, um, and so, yeah, it's just this realization like, wow, I can't imagine having that, you know, that big rupture in my life and their marriage like my parents did and having to be present for kids like I'm so thankful I had kind of my dark nights of the soul I already had those experiences a few times before being a mom because my hope is if it comes up again (laughs) that I'll have the ability to know I can survive it and I don't have to go as deep maybe or for as long you know as as it happened in my family before But that's also something to consider, you know, like Kelly said, kids, we're naturally wired biologically to go towards the negative and, Hmm. and going towards the negative for children is this is all my fault. We innately feel like things are happening. My parents are unhappy because of me, you know, it's they, if I can fix this is the other side of that. If I didn't cause it, if they're unhappy because of their choices, but I'm here and I can fix it, right? Because they tell me all the time how happy I make them or how I, you know, there's um, a couple layers you can go with that. But always, yeah, asking your child, inner child what they need. It's always they're needing to be loved, to be understood, to be forgiven. And sometimes just for someone to hold them. That's a lot of it to help them regulate, you know, through your own energy. And a lot of inner child healing, um, just going off of that note, um, is about finding out what that core wound is and then nurturing it, like Priscilla said. And sometimes it could even be just um, telling them, especially for children, like if your inner child was going through a lot of abuse and things like that, um, telling them that they can put the armor down now that they don't need to be the protector anymore. That's a very big one for children who have been through abuse. And that was one thing for me where it was like, hey, we're not in battle anymore. You're not protecting people anymore. You're okay. And I will hold that armor for you now. And you could be a child again. And so a lot of times what's very important for people who are doing inner child work, especially coming from an environment that was abusive and very traumatic is to let them know that they are safe now and that they can be a child because a lot of times that armor will prevent you from being able to move forward and it's going to come up a lot in relationships it's going to come up a lot in marriages and things like that because of the fact that you are protecting that version of your inner child that a lot of times that's going to start surfacing in your relationship because what's worse for someone that's been through abuse than to be vulnerable and when you are in a relationship with somebody especially marriages and things like that you're vulnerable to your spouse and to love someone means that you have to allow a little bit of that person into your life into your most sacred thing which is love right 
And if we can't let them be in, we're going to be constantly fighting that. And we're going to be pushing them away. We're going to be testing boundaries. We're going to be like, see, they don't love me. See, they don't love me. Because that inner child is still in battle saying, I am not safe to be vulnerable. So I'm going to push every single button to show that you are not safe. And And you're trying to justify your previous you know, conclusions Mm -hmm. that you are not worthy of whatever you're receiving, that it's not real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how do you, so again, going back to what I usually say with my clients, it's like, you know, letting them know that you as this adult, wiser, more experienced, aware, you know, conscious person that they can let that armor down because you are on the watch and you are capable of recognizing unsafe situations and you're able to navigate through them so that both of you can be safe. Exactly. So a lot of times with my inner child work that I'm doing with people, especially when I'm doing my guided interactive um, shamanic work that I do, I have them imagine going into a tree house and I imagine or have them imagine like decorating it, calling in like anyone that they felt safe with as a child. And if there wasn't someone, maybe a guide or an angel that they would have felt safe with um, or an animal and, um, and really just allowing them to be in that safe space and telling them energetically, like you can be here and be a child, have all the toys and decorations, whatever you want in here so that you have that there and you can now be a child and be in the safe space. And me as an adult, I will be the one to now take on this responsibility to where you don't have to anymore. And then resolving that energetically, asking that soul fragment to merge back to your heart space, because that's also very important because you need those fragments to come back to bring yourself back into wholeness. And um, for me, it was a very challenging thing because I think when you go through a lot of Um, abuse and things like that, your inner child can turn into its own self-aware being. If you think about soul fragments and things like that, and that's very much what I had with my inner child. And I didn't realize that my inner child, because she was so angry, she was just, you know, pissed off at everything. And no matter how much I told her, you're safe, you're safe, you're safe. It was actually letting her have that power back and empowering her again and being like, hey, you can kind of get revenge on some of this, not really in a baneful way, but you know, you could work on this in a way that makes you feel empowered. And um, that helped my inner child to the point where she just decided that she just no longer needed to exist anymore. And that was how it resolved energetically for me. But there was still like a little bit of lingering stuff behind that was very fascinating for me because this new recent um, eclipse, I know you have some knowledge about that, Matt. Wasn't it all about like inner child or your shadow or something like that? Well, most eclipses are usually internalizing things. Um, And so this this past one was even more uh, significant because it's it's also... uh, shared with uh, the Grand Cross 
uh, in Leo and Aquarius, which hasn't happened uh, since um, the 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 revolution uh, for America. So uh, it's kind of a, a revolutionary um, time, and so we experience that rebellious. Um, energetic aspect in in all sorts of different forms and so uh, with the eclipse we're internalizing uh, but then we're also rebelling against you know whatever we're internalizing so it becomes this internal struggle and and battle within us that's um, can be very overwhelming and uh, I know I think we talked about it last week that we've all been experience, experiencing some some intense client uh, sessions that are coming through, and uh, that everyone's kind of feeling it in their own way. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So I went into um, I've been doing trades with someone that does a Therify plasma light session in town. And um, I knew nothing about it at the time that I was receiving it. And they just explained that it was like something that was like a light technology that enhances your intuitive abilities. Hmm. And also it's something that was practiced in ancient Egypt. And that was how people used to be able to amplify things. And so I went in expecting nothing because I didn't even know what it was. I was just like, okay, we'll do it. Which and is how you should enter into <laughs> <laughs> no expectation. Yeah, the best out of it. Anyway, exactly. Um, and that was probably one of the most intense sessions I've had. And I've done a lot of things. Like there's a place in Phoenix that's called the Sound Dome or Sound Chamber. And it's a sound healing chamber and that was probably insanely intense and this was like that times a million and um going in like i've always had a lot of mediumship abilities and i've always worked with in the spirit realm and that's why i work a lot shamanically and um it had instantly unlocked all of my mediumship abilities and it was like i was traveling through different dimensions and things like that and then my mom came to me during the session and it was probably something like that I think my inner child needed the most during that time because my mom had passed away in 2018 and she had come to me and she was talking to me and she was saying that you know she she can't believe how big my nieces are getting and um, my youngest niece um, she's kind of like my mini me a little bit like she looks like me she acts like me like everything she's just a mini me and um she was like i can't believe how much she's turning out to be like you even on a spiritual level you two are very similar and she's like i see a lot of that light in her that is in you and i wish when you were a child that i saw that in you too and she said your light is so strong that anyone that comes around you it's going to make their darkness surface and it's going to project that energy out to force them to process their own darkness, which means they will either find comfort in your presence or they won't. And it's going to be one extreme or another for you. 
And for me, it was always the extreme of I wasn't ready to let go of that darkness. I wasn't ready to release my story. So throughout your whole childhood, I projected that on you. And I'm sorry that I didn't get a chance to see you for who you truly were. Mm. And I couldn't support you for who you were. And during that session, I was like bawling the whole time. And I don't poor little Yost was like watching this I'm like he probably thinks so crazy because I'm bawling like a baby um and so for me that was ultimately what I needed because you know I had a borderline personality disorder mother and I didn't really get a chance to have the fullest version of her growing up and so for me that was like my final resolution with it because of the fact that when she passed I wasn't able to have these conversations with her and so to have it in the spirit world and have her talk to me about it was very healing. And so ultimately, you know, it helps me with just moving forward and being able to resolve a lot of those things. Wow, that's amazing. That's beautiful. And so we can do inner child healing through those sort of avenues, like you just mentioned, through healing work, through psychotherapy. Um, but for the average person who maybe that's not an option for yet, um, do you guys want to talk about how they would even recognize what their inner child aspects are? I mean, obviously, you know, we're all in the spiritual community, so we're all kind of tapped into that kind of work already. But for somebody who's not and they want to explore that, I think we kind of touched on this in the shadow work episode. I think the most important thing is recognizing your triggers. Yeah emotional responses to things is very important to understand but I mean it could be even little subtle things like um, wounded inner child could be feeling guilty when you're standing up for yourself or having an issue with saying no to something or being like a people pleaser or feeling responsible for other people's feelings Um, it can also be just finding it difficult to set boundaries feeling like there's something wrong with you or that you're not good enough for someone or that you continuously attract unhealthy relationships. I was going to say finding yourself, you know, dating or marrying the same person over Mm -hmm. and over and over. Yeah. Like I think Kelly mentioned it, that kind of relationship sabotage, um, Mm -hmm. validating those, those ideas, those stories that we have of ourselves that we're not lovable or, you know, what, whatever that may be from childhood. I was also thinking phobias, too. Phobias? Yeah, I mean... Interesting. uh, We all think of, you know, the the oddball phobias, but a phobia can be anything that interferes with your daily life, uh, that you experience an extreme um, uh, fear towards or aversion towards. Um, So it it could be, uh, you know, certain people or uh, certain situations or places or... Um, yeah, or physical activities. You know, it doesn't have to be like spiders or heights or anything like that. Uh, if it affects you in your day-to-day life, then uh, it's, I mean, it can be considered a disorder or a phobia. And it can uh, even be like people that are like perfectionists or like even someone that's like an overachiever, someone yeah, that absolutely. finds that working all day, every day and, you know, being that busy person can it can actually be a traumatic response like an inner child response yeah, control mm-hmm. yeah trying to feel controlled and, and safe i know we talked about a, a lot of, I, we've brought it up a lot of times before uh self-worth 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that kind of goes hand in hand a lot of times with uh, a lot of those those resurfacing things. Um, and that may be an indication that you need to go inward and and maybe um, explore some some in, inner child healing avenues or uh, shadow work or et cetera. Yeah, inner child work essentially is a part of shadow work as well. Yeah. So if if any of these things come up, the first thing to do is trace it back to the first time, like Kelly mentioned at the beginning of the episode, first time you felt that emotion, and it's usually in early childhood. And then you kind of dissect it and analyze it and wonder why you're still holding on to this, this story and if it's still negatively affecting your life, which if it's coming up, it most often is. And this is somewhere I, we were joking a little bit earlier about uh, Freud yeah. and and his you know um, his attaching you know uh, symbolism to to certain situations and and how kind of uh, a little bit over the top Freud went, um, but in a certain aspect it can be useful if those uh, memory triggers aren't accessible to you uh, if you're able to analyze the cyclical patterns that you're experiencing and kind of um, designate the archetypes again we're getting into uh, Jungian archetypes uh, of the relationship roles uh, in those situations that you're um, experiencing over and over again uh, they can lend insight into possibly something that uh, you are repressing from um, an, an early childhood. Um, so you may see those uh, relationships, you know, become, um, if, if you're breaking past, you know, your uh, blockages that you have built up uh, and repression, you know, you may see those, you know, the, the, the boyfriend being, you know, your father figure or, a girlfriend being your your mother figure, vice, you know, whatever, um, or um, yeah, so those internal relationships um, manifesting themselves in your your new relationships and in adulthood. And there's that phrase that's out there now: self-parenting or reparenting mm-hmm. yourself. You know, going through and and I do notice when. Um, because people always come in, clients always come in in some different phase on their healing journey, right? Some of them are just like, I've never done anything like this before, but everything is in such a point where I don't know what else to do. So I'm just going to sit here and come to Sedona and all these practitioners and just kind of see, you know, like throwing noodles against the wall, spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks, what works. Like I'm willing to try anything at this point, you know? And so people are you know, come in, especially when they're new with this and in different phases. And I do notice that, um, some people come in and say, absolutely fantasy. I had a fantasy childhood that happens, especially people who are middle-aged or older. They tend to, you know, and that could be like a stage of life thing too, where you're mm-hmm. just like, okay. Cause I do think that is a natural psychological thing when we get older to kind of whitewash as we call it, like everything that's happened in our past, because most of the people, you know, our parent, their parents are probably gone, you know, and they just want to remember the good things. And 
and stuff like that. But just kind of when you are looking at whether or not you need to do inner child healing or how do I start, it's kind of seeing where your starting point is. You know, are you at that point where when you initially think about your your childhood, is everything hunky-dory, you know? Is it all this like perfect, wonderful experience or are you able to, or, or do you feel, you know, blocked and, and saying, you know, defensive about it or feeling unsafe, you know? What, are you in the stage where you're compassionate, you're aware and you're compassionate towards your parents? Like I talked about, you know, was it 25 for me? Like, okay, I was done pretending there was nothing wrong. I was done feeling blocked and, and rejecting and saying, I can't even look at this because I don't feel safe enough to even look at it. Right now I can have, I can say, okay, this is what it was. And I can see it with compassion and understanding on all sides. And then you moving into acceptance, which we talk a lot about. That's ultimately the idea of healing in most spiritual traditions is like, I can see something for what it is and I can feel very neutral about it. You know, it's just like a historical fact at this point. It's not an emotional response for me every time. And not that it doesn't bring up emotion sometimes, but it's not the main, you know, the main uh, effect of thinking about it. You can think about it and not immediately fall apart or something or get it's angry. Or not identifying with the emotion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's something outside of you almost, yeah. right? Like you're not seeing it in relation to yourself. You're just seeing it as something that happened. Which mm -hmm. is, yeah, which is the, the best uh, form of healing. I yes. Mean, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 They say that's like the ultimate point of when you realize you fully healed from something is when you can think of a painful memory and no longer have an emotion towards it. And not necessarily like you're emotionally numb to it. It's more so like you can recall it, but it's not triggering anymore. It's not painful to think about it's anymore. It's not part of your identity anymore. Yeah, yeah. right. So you're neutral. not attached to yeah. the There's a neutrality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, neutrality to it. Yeah, you're not bypassing. You're not being cynical. It's like, you're exactly. just like, oh, okay. This uh, Tell people, oh, the sky is blue. The rocks are red. This is what my mom did. This is how it made me yeah. feel. Okay. You yeah, know. because you, you've processed it so many times. And um, I found with my inner child healing journey, um, especially with just the different phases, because I consider it like an onion, right? You peel off one layer and there's another layer and you peel off that. And it just keep going and going and going. We talked about that in the shadow work um, podcast. Um, you get to the point where you go through a process that's called the death of your story and that's releasing your story of what had happened to you and no longer identifying with it it doesn't necessarily mean that you forget your story and it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll never tell it again but it means that that is not who you are anymore i had to get to a point in my own inner child healing and my own shadow work where i had to no longer be this person that was abused and traumatized and had to now identify myself as something else and that is when you finally get to a point where you release a lot of that energy because when you're no longer identifying it as who you are, it changes you and it changes you into breaking a lot of the cycles that you developed when you were in those states of trauma and going through those memories over and over again, especially when you have CPTSD. And so 
you have to go through that. And for me, it had to be a process of just writing down my experiences because a part of my inner child felt like she needed to be heard and needed to express herself in a way that she could um, be seen and understood. And I just imagined that someone important to me in the future would read it. And that was how I was able to fully like let go of that story because that story was there and I was able to write it down and imagine that important person reading it. And most likely it would be me in the future, that important person. And looking back and being like, wow, how much I've grown and how, how much I've changed how I think about things since releasing this. And so inner child is very important in another area um, is like when you think about inner child healing, if you're immediately like, ugh. Yeah, yes. that's when you know. That's when you know. Always. It that was sucks. always mine. I'm like, oh, that's so lame. Or it's in, the, in the beginning. This in, is silly. Yeah. I don't need this. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah. Everybody yeah. needs this. Everybody needs this. Well, I'm, and, not <laughs> I'm not a child. I'm not a child. I'm not a child. Yeah, I can sure. see that too. I've heard that before. <laughs> not a baby. From people. Yeah. It comes up in almost every shamanic journey. It does. I've, I've heard every feel time. Like yeah, yeah, that happens every for everyone in the beginning. Nobody yeah. wants to do it. Mm-mm. It sucks. Uh, yeah, it's I tedious. Mean, it's, it's a lot of work. I hate it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so necessary. But it's so necessary. I hate doing my own. And I so love many doing it with other people. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so many times, my clients when we journey and and handle it, and it can come, you know, just remembering again. I know I've probably said this a million times, but remembering again that everything can be very gentle, right? Yeah. Like. It's not when I, it can just take a few minutes even. It doesn't have to be that we're going to sit here and do, you know, when we're doing this in a spiritual sense, it's not like psychotherapy where you have to sit there and relive and recount and say every, Mm. that's never. I've had people work through some really intense traumatic experiences in like 20 minutes, you know, and it's, it's not that you have to relive the whole experience. It's just connecting with the energy of it mm-hmm. and gleaning the wisdom and perspective that you need, giving that version of you what it needs and that, you know, what you needed in that time and place, providing that for yourself and reintegrating. Like it literally doesn't have to be this like emotional. I tell people I'm not here to start poking you, you know, why would I wouldn't want to spend all day traumatizing people that would like be the last thing I want to do, you know? And so just reminding people, this can be gentle. This can be really enjoyable and pleasant because what happens every time after someone integrates something, you know, traumatic or really important they always go to this super peaceful place, you know. They get insight. They do. But then, like, a lot of times they'll travel to, like, a beach or a meadow or they'll have, like, their favorite pet, you know, float down from heaven and they haven't seen in forever and, like, just play with them. Because it, it, play is so big for inner child healing. Oh, it's absolutely. so big. And so that's what a lot of times they'll end up running around playing in, in a field or on a playground or, you know, something somewhere just really open and and sweet and um with their favorite pet and their inner child and 
And those aren't things that we create. It's not like I say, okay, now you go here. Like they will automatically go there because spirit knows this is in your subconscious or your guides. I mean, whatever you want to prescribe it to, it knows that you need that balance. You need that integration time. Um, so just knowing it, it can be easy. It can be easy whether you do it with us, you know, or you do it on your own, just going into your own thoughts and meditations and just opening up to, Hey, is there some version of me as a child? And what does my inner child want today? What would make my inner child really happy today? Maybe I should sit and, and color, you know, a mandala coloring book because that won't feel so silly you know or just go to the store and buy a batman coloring book and go for it or (laughs) playing with clay or reading you know watching your favorite movie that you had when you were a kid or you know just doing anything playful and fun dancing that always feeds your inner child because so many of us took on too much too early And whether that was a result of our environment or just who we are or a mix of both, you know, but I think most people I know feel like they had to take on a lot of responsibility um, for adults in their life as younger people. Well, and how many adults really feel like they're just carrying the weight of everything and women. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Women, definitely. Um, Carrying it all. And we get disconnected from our joy. And a lot of inner child healing is bringing you back into alignment with that. Because when did we stop singing and dancing and having fun and enjoying things that didn't include alcohol or some form of substance or sex or whatever it may be? When have we ever had as an adult, these genuine play times where we can enjoy ourselves and be able to be present and carefree and just let go. It's still something that's important for us. And so many adults, including myself, forget that we still need that inner child nature yes. in us. And that's why, you know, a lot of fae come around in our office. And that's one thing they remind us in the office mm-hmm. is to play because they're very mischievous and um (laughs) it is just really ultimately just bringing back that joy because so many of us has lost it over time and we lose it after we are no longer children because of the fact that we do take on too much too young and um you know a lot of us get families and we forget that and a lot of people do get the opportunity to kind of relive their childhood through children but for the people that didn't get that opportunity it's a little bit different and so ultimately even just allowing yourself to enjoy moments and be present and bring that joy back to yourself because if you ask anyone around you even yourself what really makes you happy can anyone truly actually answer that what brings Mm -hmm. you joy that isn't something that is your children or a spouse. Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Pizza Perhaps brings like sushi. deep pleasure, actually. Sushi. <laughs> is that your inner child speaking? <laughs> that's my inner lots of things. But <laughs> that's the feeling that gets for pizza. But yeah, yeah, so we lose touch with that. We do. And I think something that, that Anna had brought up before, too, was about the freedom to have emotions right like isn't that as a child is when we are our most emotional and how quickly were we like 
you know, mm-hmm. and stuff. And I mean, I do it to, you know, instinctively to my daughter too. And I have to stop and, and we've all had to tr- retrain ourselves to be like, oh yeah, that's right. Nowadays we don't have to tell children to shut up every time or to calm down or don't be so upset or, or you're crying. You're fine. Everything's fine. Or to assign gender roles. Boys don't cry. Or only babies cry. Yeah. Yeah. And so allowing and noticing too, like I've definitely seen some instances of people in my life when they are clearly just having a a tantrum. They're adults, but this is a legit freaking toddler-esque tantrum, which I didn't notice till I had one that does that. And I was like, hmm, you're acting like my kid right now. Interesting. You know, this is totally your inner child who has some unhealed stuff that, and so anytime you're acting childish, you know, you're responding in kind of a quote unquote childish way, that could be some unhealed stuff too. But yeah, yeah, it's allowing, allowing us to have emotions. I was actually thinking about, um, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, the the Karen trope. (laughs) (laughs) I almost said it. I almost said it. I'm glad I'm not the only one thinking about it. I've been thinking about this for a while. Isn't that just an adult tantrum Mm -hmm. or a lack of control, a wanting, you know, to police people because they feel kind of that parts of their life are out of control? Yeah. That's an unhealed inner child aspect. Absolutely. But it's up to the individual to have the insight to recognize that in themselves and then go on to heal that because that is dysfunctional obviously i can't imagine anybody enjoys behaving that way although it seems like it's sometimes (laughs) well the fact that that they have (laughs) halloween costumes for it It now is the karen i apologize to any karens i know some wonderful lovely karens it's it's just a trope it's not the name it's it's not the the name yeah it's the archetype that you're associated with it's a modern archetype it totally is it used to be it's interesting that used to be like the little old lady neighbor like thing and now it's like middle-aged women (laughs) we've like bumped it up in the haircut <laughs> that was the speak to the manager types. Yeah, I think that was, that was something that I was going to bring up uh, earlier. Um, it and that's the um, uh, polarity parenting uh, is we seem to when we have children we want to like um, rectify the things that we didn't receive when we were a child right so we we start to to provide this parenting atmosphere that is the things that you know we didn't get or we thought that were done wrong to us or um were lacking for us uh when we were children and I think that's so dangerous, and I think we're experiencing that uh, collectively mm-hmm. uh, in in each generation. I mean, we can even look look backwards and and analyze the the generations that came from the previous uh, ones, you know, uh, and how their parenting structure created the parenting structure that came after them. Um, so you know, we have the World War. Uh, generation uh, that uh, then came, you know, the the generation of love, you know, uh, um, the the boom generation, which was also, uh, you know, the the hippie generation. Um, But then we have the hippie generation um, 
kind of bringing in the you know the yuppies the millennials. The, the millennials and and the generation x and, and um yeah if you psychoanalyze those those generational collective aspects uh, it's definitely uh in an expression of how they were parented either you know uh in a more lax environment to a more rigid standard uh, you you could go a lot deeper with that too but I'm sure you, everybody can kind of look back especially if you have children um, because it's it's natural to to want to give your kids the things that you didn't have um, but I challenge you to kind of um, use your perspective um, to see you know, what your upbringing would have been if you were enabled in that way or if you were not enabled in that way. Um, again, that goes back to my polarity experiment that I always bring up uh, and, and, and sit with that for a little bit and see how you feel. Because, um, you know, our parents were doing what they thought was right in the moment. Does that make it wrong? Yeah. You know, if we don't agree with it, uh, you know, I don't know. That's for everyone to decide for themselves. But Yeah, it's funny you say because I was listening to a podcast on my drive in um, to here and, and it was a parenting, a spiritual like parenting podcast. And that's what they were saying. Like, you know, say you're this one of the examples they gave is like, oh, my friend, like her daughter got passed over or didn't get some role in the school play and the daughter was fine with it but the mom lost her shit and was like this is favoritism this is blah 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 like very clearly and then the daughter's like hmm yeah you're right now all of a sudden she's upset about it and she wasn't even upset about it before so it is definitely checking your filters um, for things you know before you react I had a client a couple of weeks ago who had a severely traumatic childhood um, severely traumatic and the way that he chose to parent his daughter was so um, even he would say like now that she's like older like in college and stuff like it was very he wanted to, he was so deprived of love that he wanted to give so much love and attention and affirmation mm-hmm. and that she feels at this point in her life now she's you know they're not in not uh in a good place like barely speaking actually and it's because i told him well you were parenting her the way you wanted to be parented you're not parenting her for the person she is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so all of that, like you were kind of just overdoing it, like you just overcompensated, you know, but she didn't come in with the wounds and triggers that you do and the filters that you do and the needs that you had. And so she didn't need for you to like overdo it. You had the best intentions and I'm sure she knows she loves you, but what she's probably feeling, cause this was my experience with my parents is she's not feeling seen for who she is. And until you take the time to take those, you know, glasses off and, and of your own childhood and really look at her and get to know her and show an interest in who she is outside of what you want her to be or need her to be, 
you know, you have to heal your own inner child. You can't heal your inner child through your children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that has to, for their sake, for the relationship with them, that you really have to find that separation. Yeah. And I have to remember that sometimes for my daughter too, because I'm like, oh, I don't want her to have to go through this. I don't want her to have to go through that. And then I have to stop and be like, she's not going to, you know, and it's, it's, you have, she is a different person. She has, she needs different things. And, um, to not start making all those promises, like I'm never going to be the parent that does this and that. And, you know, to just, instead I have to push my childhood back and say, nope, this is a new moment. This has nothing to do with how I was raised. And that's got to be insanely hard. I mean, I, I Can can't be. speak it takes a as, lot of conscious as any sort of authority on this whatsoever. You know, I don't have children and, um, or even close. Um, so yeah, I can't, I can't say with 100% certainty that, you know, that anyone is doing anything wrong. I, it's got to be incredibly difficult um, to try to separate your own experience with, you know, the new experience that you're having and culturally and, um, you know, collectively, uh, you know, I think it's inescapable in, in, uh, in some forms, you know, you're, you're never going to get, you're never going to be the perfect parent that Ever. you, that you want to be, you know, I ask and, her all the time, is this the thing that's going to send you to therapy? <laughs> Because I'm sure, and I'll be honest, I don't even strive to be perfect. Like I don't. Like sometimes I'm like, you know, this is the moment where she's going to learn what not to do because I just don't have the energy to be the bigger person. Like I'm aware when I do that, and then I'll talk to her later. Like I'll be like, so this was, you know, mom was just feeling this way, or she'll tell me about a teacher or friend or dad or something. I was like, yeah. Sometimes we have hard days, don't we? And just so you know, you know, that wasn't about you. Like, so even if in the moment I can't regulate myself, because that happens, I just can't. And, um, and it feels like absolute garbage, <laughs> but sometimes you just can't do it. And you just have to say, okay, just now that we're both okay, you know, I wanted, and you're not triggered and I'm not triggered. And I know that we've got a kind of a clean slate here and you can hear me because when the kid's triggered, they can't hear you any more than you care to hear them when you're upset, you know, um, and, and, and try to reframe it and try to regain whatever ground you can. And, and you also have to realize that, you know, you, uh, noticing that and realizing that and internalizing that, doesn't mean that you have done something wrong you know like you had parents who were human too yes and you're okay yeah so you know your child is going to be okay (laughs) it's not because (laughs) you know you said the wrong thing this one time that everything goes out the window you know we're we're still we're still all in um earth school so (laughs) and and maybe you know you need to take your own advice that you tell her that you are making good decisions yes i know right (laughs) i think that a lot full circle yes it does it does i was telling somebody the other day i'm like you know if you aren't sure you know what inner work you need to have have a kid and clients because they mirror <laughs> everything to you and it's almost like an express train of like oh this is my next thing okay this is what i get to work on it does gotcha. it happens it's, cyclically it's awesome yeah, yeah. Like, i think that's even like our podcast episode right? like, yeah, like, like, like what's going many, on in like, our lives occurring themes <laughs> what are we dealing this with yeah. <laughs> what do we need to talk about this week yeah for sure and i tell cyclically. yeah my te- my greatest teachers of grace 
are my parents through their flaws. You know, I celebrate the fact that they didn't do everything perfectly. And I have the grace of doing that because mine weren't that bad. Like, I get that, right? Like, there's definitely some stuff. And there's definitely stuff I would tell people and they'd be like, Ugh, you know, <laughs> but it's not on this grand scheme of things. It is very much human beings trying to figure it out. And um, I say all the time, particularly, you know, my dad and I will have, we, have more of these types of conversations and I tell him how much I appreciate the example of grace and picking yourself up and putting yourself back together you know I've watched him do that a couple times in his life and it's been my greatest teacher you know of how to do that for myself for sure I have such an appreciation for their journey and and the fact that they were raw enough to let me see it you know Mm -hmm. a lot of times I mean up until that point you know a lot of people grew up with I you know I never heard my parents say the word crap like I think my mom said it one time because an entire dresser fell on her big toe and busted (laughs) it open and bled everywhere and I was like ooh, some shit's going down like as a (laughs) six-year-old I was like this is juicy you know mom said a cuss word like I had this super idyllic childhood up until about eight or nine you know and then my parents were just raw real people and I think that experience is what gave me the the interest in or to help me develop my interest in the human experience and in being I'm Scorpio anyway so I naturally think I'm in tune to like the darkness and like getting in there and like yes here's you know this is what pain feels like this is what sadness and depression and like being able to embrace both sides of it maybe it gave you the confidence yes to, to, to be able to to potentially fail yes yeah yeah and so beautiful so i do try to talk to aurora about when mommy's having a hard day or you know mommy's just feeling (laughs) she said something really shitty to me when i was like you know mommy's having a really hard time loving herself today and she was like yeah i know i can see why (laughs) (laughs) but i was like damn what did you text us the other day that was so oh yeah she's man she was being, she's had some, they've had some sass mouth issues in her class at school. <laughs> and so we've gone through all of the logical stuff and like, this is what being nice is. <laughs> That's not, not, you know, all those things, the feelings and perceptions and yada, yada, yada. And now we're kind of just like at a boundary place sometimes, especially by 7 p.m. when this happened. We're definitely in a place of boundaries. <laughs> <where> <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not taking your shit anymore, kid. Like, I'm out of here. <laughs> So she was in her bath and she was saying, you know, just being sassy and rude and just kind of bossing me around for no reason. I was being so nice and patient with her. And I just said, "Uh oh, mom's done with this stuff. This is nonsense. You know, like I'm not going to stick around when people treat me like this. I've told you that before that I don't allow people to treat me like this. And I've given you warnings and you're continuing to do it. So I'm going to leave now because you're not making choices that are safe for me. And so I walked out, you know, just in the hallway. And so she's like, yeah, I don't need you. And she's just playing for a few minutes. And then she's like, mom, I want you to come watch me do this or that. And I said, I'm sorry, I told you I don't stick around. And she goes, I know what you're trying to do. You're just trying to get me to follow your rules. And I was like, shit, 
you know like I was <laughs> like what is busted my I posted it on Facebook and one of my friends who is like just she just has the best way of saying things it's so funny and she's southern so that's you know and she goes she goes girl these children been here before and I said you are right because <laughs> she's got two girls <laughs> that's the best way to put it like oh my gosh oh my god yes so there is no fooling my child yeah. like and not at all she came out like 22 years old it's just impossible <laughs> but I love it we all love Lucky you know you. I know right <laughs> so yeah she's very confident so remember that moment when you feel like <laughs> <Yeah>. you have <laughs> you've yeah. overstepped your bounds yes. <laughs> remember that moment that your child is infinitely more mature than I we know. were at that age <laughs> it's terrifying <laughs> And so ultimately, I mean, for people that are not familiar with inner child healing and stuff like that and wondering, well, why would I really even need to do it? Um, it really just helps with growth and working on like any form of like mental illness that you're going through. If it's something like depression or anxiety or something like that, um, for someone that grew up in like poverty levels, um, therapy was never really something that was really accessible for me and so this was ultimately the way that I found to be able to cope with it and found that it was a very effective way of being able to cope with things because you know unfortunately unless you're wanting to spend $600 a month on therapy if you don't have insurance it's it's difficult I mean there's group therapies and other forms of therapy that you can go to it just depends on where you're at and what type of resources that are available. It's becoming more accessible now, I it will say It is becoming that, more yeah. accessible. And this isn't necessarily advice for anyone to override therapy. It'd be like, oh, see, I did inner child healing, so I don't need therapy. <laughs> yeah. um, I know there's been a lot of like stigma in the past about people going to therapy that they think that you know there has to be something really wrong with you to go to therapy, but that's not necessarily the case. It could be really even just down to understanding how to communicate with your partner in a way that makes your partner feel loved and understood or to help you guys grow together, or it could be just understanding yourself and how to work through certain things because it can give you different perspectives. And I know a lot of times people will say things like, oh, well, I did therapy once and it wasn't for me. But there's so many versions of mm -hmm. therapy, like well, what version did you do? Did you go to a psychiatrist? Did you go to someone that does like cognitive behavioral therapy? What version of therapy did you go to? Because there's so many different versions. So if you tried one doesn't mean you tried at all that's kind of like saying i got a massage once and it was bad and so i'll never do a massage again it's which like, well, people i hear that too from people exactly yeah, and so. it's like that makes no sense because people don't even realize that massage therapists have their own modalities and everybody's going to be different and it depends on how they were trained and what modalities are trained in some therapists just aren't good other ones are great and some just have bad days it's so and you, yeah. we're human yeah. i'm a massage therapist i am human sometimes i have worked on so many people and it's just you're at that end of the week and you're just like one more and then you know it's probably not the best yeah you're like that wasn't a plus work no. <laughs> or <laughs> i, I did my best hungry. yeah and i yeah. really needed to go to lunch <laughs> <laughs> but it's also the different you know I hear the same thing sometimes over and over and over again, like even like 
for over a decade, right? And then there's some times when it just hits. Yeah. You hear the same thing and it just hits, you know? So being open to how, you know, trusting what comes your way. And I tell my clients all the time too, that we're like keys that unlock things in each other. So every person, regardless, you know, modality is a huge part of it too, like what their toolbox is, but it's also the energy of a person. And just, you know, we're meant to, we, you know, if you go into karma and like destiny and all that kind of stuff, like there's definitely people that we run into in our lives that help unlock things at that perfect time for us, just their energy alone. Yeah. It could be regardless of their modality, just their energy is like this perfect match for us in that time that helps us open up and yeah. reveal things. Well, yeah, when we're doing energy healing, uh, you know, whether it's uh, quantum healing or, or Reiki or something of that, you're, we, I, I hear time, time again, uh, you know, at least the practitioners that, uh, have an understanding of this is is you're only going to receive uh, what is needed for you right now you know you're not going to have a, a traumatic experience um, by you know ascending your energies to some uh, a foreign level that is completely uh, alien to you you know it there are, there are steps, you know, and, and you're going to receive the healing that you need to receive where you need to re receive it and how you're supposed to receive it uh, at that time. And, and literally, that's the only thing that's possible. You can't um, have an experience that's too far outside yourself or you're not going to understand it at all and it's not going to do any good. It's not going to be healing. Um, so you, you're gonna, you're gonna receive, um, the experience that you are supposed to receive, uh, not what you think that you want yeah. or don't want. Because yeah. <laughs> even negative experiences, sometimes closed doors are a blessing too, right? Yes. Just saying, okay, this wasn't the right person after all, this wasn't the right, you know, um, time for me to uncover something in particular, like, okay, I just need a little bit more time or a different experience or a different person. And, and just having that ultimate trust that things are moving to your benefit, even if they don't look or feel like it. Yeah. And doing inner child work or even therapy does not mean that you had a bad childhood. It, a bad childhood is not a prerequisite to doing this kind of work. It's just self-exploration, which I mean, that's what we're all here for, right? That's kind of the goal is to know thyself. So don't feel like you have to have had a traumatic childhood or that doing this kind of work is going to uncover some sort of trauma because that's not necessarily what happens. It's just looking at how you can improve your life and maybe some of the patterns that you have. Yeah, be careful of false memories. Um, that could potentially come up um, mm -hmm. when you're doing this work because some people they'll you know start digging up inner child stuff and then they'll start creating scenarios in their head and start believing those scenarios just be mindful of that when you are doing inner child healing to not 
you know, assume and start developing those type of false memories or anything like that. If it's something that you're not fully able to understand or process or anything else or pull too much of the memory up, just try to feel the energy of that in- that memory and understand how it made you feel and why it made you feel that way. And then just work on either changing that thought pattern or healing that thought pattern so that you can move forward with it. Because ultimately, it's not about just digging through all your old scabs and pulling out old wounds or anything like that. It's ultimately to help change how your brain processes that information through logic and understanding. Yeah, because in the abs, that's how a lot of trauma happens is in the absence of information, we and we start inserting stuff in there. And Mm -hmm. so that's true. You can have false memories come up because, again, as a three-year-old, what your perspective of something is, you know, without all the other input um, from outside sources, it can be hard to really solidify what actually happened. All you have is your perception of what happened. Dysmorphic perceptions. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, it's like Kelly said, it's not exactly what happened. It's what you took away, what meaning you assigned to what happened and that's, and how you decided to move forward in your life based on that meaning that you assigned to it. And memories can change throughout time. Sometimes our memories can get distorted the more we look at it and kind of, the more we have like other emotions and memories, sometimes they can blur together. Um, One of my capstones for my psychology degree was actually on memory and um, it was very fascinating because they show how fragile memory can actually be where they could ultimately um, like they've done this study on people where they were showing them photos of a hot air balloon and they then took a photo of that person and photoshopped it into the hot air balloon and told them a story about how they were there and showed them the photo. And these people would then be like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing like that and feeling like the wind of being in the air and seeing all that when that person was never even there. So you have to be very careful with memory and how you perceive and understand things because it can be easily altered. And so when you're doing inner child work and things like that, if it's something that maybe you didn't have an active memory of, um, but then all of a sudden like this emotion comes up and you start assuming certain things, just keep in mind that that could be an assumption. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a fact. doesn't mean that your feelings aren't valid or anything like that. It's just more so just be mindful before going too far with those type of things when you're doing this type of work because when you're children, you your memory gets distorted after a while because your brain is not fully developed. So, mm-hmm. And I mean, even as an adult, like when, I don't know if I've told you this story yet. I don't think I have, but when I was, I don't know, 31, 32, I was a bank teller and I got held up with a bomb, quote unquote. I think mm. it was probably bullshit, but <laughs> but he came up and, you know, the, the very good employee I am, he, he like walks in the door, glasses, hat, you know, but we were in Atlanta and like people wore glasses and hats all the time, like, you know, as part of the fashion. So I didn't think of it and he had a piece of paper and he looked and there was no one else in the lobby at all. And he like, 
turned around and started to walk out and I was like, oh, sir, are you sure I can't help you? <laughs> like a jackass. And so then he comes up and uh, he's like, I he's, guess I'm doing I this. Guess we're, I guess we're in. And so I was the only teller. All the other four were scattered somewhere else. And he slides me the piece of paper and um, you know, of course, this is my memory, which is part of the point. And so he slides me a piece of paper and it said something like you should have like $2,000, you know, and uh, he hands me a bag from the Taco Bell next door. And I said, you know, I looked at him and I said, are you fucking serious? And he's like, yes, ma'am, I am. And he pulled out some contraption that had wires and whatever looked like a bomb or something. And I said, OK, but thankfully, the only thing my brain did right was yell out really loud, are you fucking serious? And everyone knew because I did not hit the panic button. I did not give him yeah. the money that had the blow up pack in it. I did not do any because you're supposed to like never touch them. So you go into muscle memory. So I didn't do any of the things you're supposed to do. The cops said very seriously, don't sass robbers. That's a horrible idea. Right? <laughs> I was like, okay, sorry. But because I said that, everyone else started going ding, 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 like all around to get the cops to come. Never caught the guy. Um, I did only get, I had 40,000, but I just gave him two because he's an idiot and that's all he wanted. Oh, so if he wants to go wow. to federal prison wow. for two grand, okay, wow. sure. But I had like 40K I could have handed him. And, but my recollection that they had security cameras you know and stuff like that but my recollection of what he looked like was completely wrong mm. wow. I thought he was wearing red and I guess he was wearing like black and blue or something like that but there was like everything I saw was black and red everything about him and they were like nope not at all and they never told me that it wasn't until later the other tellers were like uh no like mm. It's, you know, so I was like, well, I'm Amazing. glad you, you people were yeah. here, you know, thanks for the backup for <laughs> describing yeah. him. Did you they knew your, who he was. They just never found him. Did you get your personal FBI agent? No, oh. no, but I was just left to the wolves. And I was like, oh yeah, great. I could, yeah, That's it's like crazy. he could follow me home. He could, you know, but thankfully I wasn't a threat because apparently I remember shit correctly. <laughs> so, wow. you know, it's interesting. Like even 10 minutes after that, when you're still like charged you know i i have i can't tell you now exactly what he looked like i don't remember at all it's all caricature is what my brain created mm -hmm. even as a grown-up even in a situation where logically i knew this guy's a joke right but my body did not know that my mind you know part of my survival like my left brain did not know that and so I was going through and I went through for like a couple of weeks, like all of the natural like trauma responses, even though I knew I'm totally fine. This guy is probably just, you know, some druggie that lives down the road, like in this hotel, you know, that's what they found out. Yeah. He lives like nightly in this like one place and he probably just took his money and took off and, and that's fine and whatever. But yeah, it's, it's a really, so memory is kind of a tricky thing. Mm, yeah. Especially trauma memory. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, they say yeah. eyewitness memory, like after a traumatic event, after mm -hmm. a car accident or things like that is very, very faulty. Yeah. 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 And even things about my childhood, again, I've had the blessing of spending a lot of time with my dad. I mean, like, because I got to this point in, you know, about uh, in uh, in my late th or meh, mid thirties, whatever. I was like, okay, dad, like a lot of this stuff, I'm kind of doing this really deep healing on myself and, and going back and reframing things and learning about soul retrieval and all of that. 
And I said, you know, can we just kind of go through some stuff, like just so I can hear what you think happened? Because I know at that age, I don't remember it correctly. So I just kind of want to throw out in a non, you know, just a chill way. Um, We're going to sit on the couch. He's going to be in his recliner. And we did that every weekend for like a month or so. Like Saturdays, we just sit down and I'd be like, so I remember this. I remember that. And going through like basically most of the really scary stuff that happened in my teenage years and as a kid and and it's amazing and too I would always keep in mind his version of those things may not be you know the 100% version either but it it was because I'm sure my mom has her version my older brother who will never talk about any of this ever um, has his version I'll never get his but at least I have my mom's and my dad's which are obviously very different and mine's very different. It's, it's so interesting how we all remember such key experiences in all of our lives in a totally different way. Our truths are all so different, but I, I've learned a lot by asking and I'm so thankful I had the opportunity to ask how many parents can sit and just hear all of the mistakes that they've made. Right. You know, and hear how and that are they've traumatized their child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would say That's my dad's, a, it's a lot easier. My dad has an easier time of it than my mom does for sure. But she's getting there. And, and so like you could sit and really hear that stuff and not respond and just hear it because they know I'm not saying it in a accusatory way. I'm just like telling the story and then hearing them tell me their story in a non-emotional way it's really what a blessing like such an awesome experience so I do feel like I got some more I mean there's entire parts of my childhood I did not remember like I thought when my parents um, went through part of their separation that my dad didn't come or I don't remember seeing him for six months and he said I came every day for dinner six months I have no memory of that at all and that I could I knew that hurt Mm -hmm. because he made a point of doing it Mm -hmm. he's like it was awkward it was uncomfortable it was really terrible you know experience but I made sure to drive all the way across town every single night have dinner with you guys and go home at bedtime and um so I mean I'm so glad I never I if I'd never asked that question I never would have known that you know Mm -hmm that my dad was trying to be more present and healing. He didn't just take off, you know, yeah. for a few months. And uh, so it's interesting. Yeah, and the, on the opposite side, I have, um, you know, some um, some experience with, with people who have um, experienced some sort of trauma uh, as at a young age and... Um, have tried to to have the same sort of talks uh, with with their parents and have been told that you know they don't remember any of that yeah or they don't is. yeah they don't uh, they they can't couldn't lend any insight into uh, their experience and um, so that just opens up a whole nother 
can of worms yeah and so there was definitely speak, yeah. that with both of my parents there's was it really okay there's cool. definitely okay. things that they don't even you know because they don't remember it at all it didn't register for them at all that wow. you know because yeah. again I mean, they're going through their own yeah. stuff they're still like, human i mean yeah yeah it's hard but it's invalidating too sure it can be if it mm-hmm. seemed like a big deal to little you or oh, even totally. to adult you yeah because yeah. i've i've talked to my mom about some things she's like oh i don't remember that and i don't think she's saying it to invalidate no. me i think she just literally was in her own world and doesn't remember it but yeah, yeah it does feel kind of isolating I, and i remember mm-hmm. expressing you know um to to them um you know that can happen especially if it was a traumatic experience you know you can your body can go into that uh that that phase where you are being protected from that memory, you know, and that can happen at any stage in your life, you know, that doesn't have to be at a childhood. So it is possible that your parents literally are not remembering because, you know, in order to survive, they had to just get past it and keep going. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, that uh, created a lot of, uh, tension there I, I think between them and their parents um, you know I don't know how to I don't have any a good advice of how to get past that other than doing your own mm-hmm. um, inner child work and and working through uh, that traumatic experience for yourself you know yeah. you don't at the end of the day you don't need your parents um uh, approval or, or or recognition of of that thing because ultimately that experience is your own yeah and um you nobody can heal it for you it's always going to come down to um you know the the what you can learn about it for yourself going forward and uh, that's, yeah, man, that's the only advice I can think to give in mm-hmm. that situation. Yeah, I'd agree. But you're right, it is invalidating sometimes when you're just like, how do you? Cause sometimes I do feel like it is like yeah. a voluntary, like, I'm just going to forget about it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, isn't that off. convenient? I don't want to talk I've had about that thought a few times. Like, yeah. hmm, that's convenient that yeah. you don't. What else did you have going on? I'm sure you remember that. <laughs> well, and then that, yeah. Well, then, you know, whoever's yeah. bringing it up is, is going to feel, I don't know, God, that's even worse, you know, because if they feel that you're being disingenuous, you know, on yeah. purpose. But that, again, is your inner child, inner teen. You know, that's a very inner teen response, right? Like, that's convenient, yeah. you know, right. you right. witch. Well, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, like, and then see, that. yeah, seeking that, that validation, you know, for what you're feeling is, is ultimately trying to uh, find a, a reason for why that happened mm-hmm. yeah. and and to to put that uh, energy on someone else's responsibility and um, you know if it happened to you as a child it you can't you can't blame yourself for what happened um, you know you were a child and and you're okay now you know you, you're alive now <laughs> and um 
so yeah, I think just healing that from a inner child perspective is the only thing I can think of going forward. Yeah. Well, and ideally, when you are healing your inner child, you're also healing yourself as an adult, and it creates a um, a trail into your adult life, and it helps you process what's going on with you in your current life. And one thing they don't talk about is once you're done with your inner child healing, you go through also your inner teen healing, which is a whole nother level of fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's a whole other episode to you probably. <laughs> and um, yeah, so ultimately it can help you in your current life. It can help you with how you handle stress. It can help you with how your relationships go with yourself and your partner or your friends or even just your family members and being able to bring balance back into your life so that these are things that are no longer affecting you because when you really start working with your subconscious mind and understanding that okay there's still stuff that I'm holding on to subconsciously that I need to resolve and I don't know how it's manifesting into my current life but I really need to dig into it it's very important and it can help you potentially start moving forward on things that you've been stuck in so try it try therapy try different things healing modalities whatever it may be experiment with what might work for you because there's so many different ways you can approach these things. You just have to find the one that works for you. It doesn't mean that one modality is not better than the other or anything like that. Ultimately, it's just that modality might be good for some people and not for others. And it's just not for you, but just to keep looking and find really what works best for you. Even with spiritual practices, you just keep working on trying different things until you find a practice that is what works for you yeah and kelly and i both um you can reach us through our websites that we offer zoom sessions and and online sessions for doing this type of work and so we would be happy to support you in that through our own businesses as well holding space yeah for for uh anyone who's seeking that type of healing um or if they have any questions regarding that as well, uh, feel free to reach out. And the way we do it is very gentle. It's not anything that's going yeah. to throw you right into your trauma or anything like that. Everything that we do, um, I like to call it like little nudges where I just ask your subconscious, like, is this where you want to go? And mm-hmm. how do you want to approach it? So like, even if we're going into something that could be a triggering memory, do you want to go into this memory? Yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to. Do you want to? Do you want to view it as a movie? Do you want to be in that experience? We're always asking the spirit, like, how do you want to process this? Because your spirit's going to answer. And it's not always necessary to go into memories to access it, to be able to help resolve it energetically. It can come up symbolically, too, Mm -hmm. you know, through a different story, lots of ways. So, Uh, exactly. Yeah, and something that's been very helpful um, for, for others that I've, I've seen or, or heard that is um, going into the experience um, not being in the body that is experiencing it, but rather being the being someone else in the room who the is there to yeah. comfort mm-hmm. the 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 child who is experiencing it, the self that is experiencing it, 
or yourself that is experiencing it um, and to be that person there and and to project yourself as you are now to be able to tell yourself then that you made it through it and that you're okay and that it is okay to be where you are now and um i think that that can bring a lot of healing as well and ultimately just looking at it in the the observer perspective but um being able to um not have to be in your pain body when you're in it a lot of times when i'm doing a journey with someone i'll i'll find that sometimes they'll go into that painful memory and they're in their pain body and i'll intentionally pull them back out of it because that's when you start going into that energetic spiral where you're just kind of re-traumatizing yourself and you're just in that spiral and you can't get out of it and so ultimately in a journey if I ever find someone doing that I'll pull them back out by just kind of lightly pulling them back out of trance and refocusing them in different directions so that they can get out of that pain body and work on resolution as opposed to going into those spirals. Yeah, like you said before, it's about the energy and the message. It's not about, you know, the experience. That's not the purpose of of doing inner child work is not to to re-experience the the energetic... um, the emotions and everything that you're feeling it's to 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 find a greater perspective and healing so everyone just go ahead and check out our link tree it'll have our websites on it eventually we'll also have some online content for you guys and um yeah if you ever want to book a session with us on just focusing in on any type of shadow work inner child healing or anything like that you can always reach us online our links are in the um link tree as well So thank you for everyone for tuning in and we will see you again soon. Bye. Bye. Peace. Bye. All of the information shared on this podcast is for educational purposes only based on personal experience. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any form of mental or physical illness. Please consult a medical professional before using any advice given during this podcast. Thank you, and blessed be.